Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. Remember, it's your prayerful and faithful financial support that makes both the live show and the podcast available. I have the privilege to honor God and bless all that he has for me to do because of how richly blessed I have been. Nothing more than that. I have never known a day with hunger. I have never had a day where all of my needs have not been met. And there are many places on the globe that have no concept of what that is. And so if I can be just a small token of what God is doing through Faith Radio, through his ministry around the globe, whatever that ministry is, I am richly blessed to be able to be a small piece, just a tiny penny in what he's pouring out over the world. God speaks to me all the time, and I find sometimes I want to dig in my heels. I want to say, God, my day is so busy. How could you ask me to do one more thing? When really, the things my day was busy with were not God's things, but my things. So I love the gentle nudges that faith radio gives me every single day to be focused more on his ministry than on my own personal needs and wants. And I'm so thankful that when he calls me to do something, I know that it is not in my time. So I love how God orchestrates all things that we are to do. And our only portion of that is, will we answer the call or will we be reluctant in his request? So how are we going to answer the call of God, or are we going to be resistant to his request? I mean, that is a good question. Do you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you? And if so, how are you responding? We're inviting you to participate in the support of this ministry. You do so by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or online at MyFaithRadio.com. But it really isn't about our nudging you. It's about you responding to the Holy Spirit nudging. I love the way Kim talks about God orchestrating his plans and that we each get to play a part. So how is it that you and I are serving as instruments of God's grace? One small part, which got me thinking, which part are you? Which part am I? So I looked this up and apparently a modern full-scale symphony orchestra consists of approximately 100 permanent musicians, 16 to 18 violins, 16 second violins, 12 violas, 12 cellos, 8 double basses, 4 flutes, 1 piccolo as a specialty, 4 oboes, 1 with English horn as a specialty, 4 clarinets, 4 bassoons, I don't know, I might be a bassoon. Anyway, in theory, the Winwood players are expected to be able to play all the auxiliary instruments as well in addition to their main instrument, but there are also 5 to 8 horns, 4 trumpets, 4 trombones, 1 tuba, a kettle drum, Three to four percussionists. I guess one of them could play the kettle drum if necessary. And then you got a couple of harps, a keyboard player, you know, on and on and on. So which part are you? Got me thinking. If God is orchestrating it all, which part am I? Well, no matter which part I am, I'm called to be a blessing. And I'm called to use the blessings that I have received to bless others. So do your part. Find your place in this great orchestra that God is gathering together at Faith Radio to extend his blessing to more and more people. Join us by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or give online at MyFaithRadio.com.
You're listening to an encore presentation of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is still the 2nd of, oh no, the 22nd of February, the second month, the 22nd day, the year 2022. Paul is, Paul, my yeah. producer, is Super making Tuesday. much today. Yes. yes. Making much today of Super Tuesday. <laughs> so Paul is playing all kinds of twofer music. I don't know. Right? Well, I've had a few songs in there and I got a few <laughs> recommendations, but, you know, I'm also trying to make sure we have some other appropriate music as well. So. <laughs> So um, Paul is ever um, working on making sure we have appropriate music for each and every day. So thank you. I no just uh, I, I genuinely appreciate it. You make so many wonderful things happen during the show. And I don't know that everyone sees behind the scenes in the same way. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for lining up guests. Thank you for connecting with them. Thank you for uh, pushing all the right buttons and uh, and playing all the right songs. So thanks, Paul. Well, you're welcome. It's a joy. Yeah. So I was reading in the New York Times. Actually, I was reading about the New York Times. There you go. Uh, They have an ad campaign. It features a woman named Leanna who, quote, is imagining Harry Potter without its creator. Now, that is a reference to an article from June in 2020 when uh, the New York Times uh, said, you know, Harry Potter fans are reimagining their world without its creator. And now they have a reader of the paper named Leanna who is doing just that. And they are using her in an ad campaign. So you say to yourself, what's going on here? Well, back in 2020, the New York Times was reporting that, you know, there are these people who listen chapter by chapter. They get tattoos with a Hogwarts crest or Deathly Hallows symbols. They attend Potter conferences. Um, they, uh, they have built careers on the Harry Potter brand. Uh, but they have also decided to walk away from the creator of the Harry Potter series, world characters, on and on and on, J.K. Rowling. Because even though, quote, she gave us Harry Potter, she gave us this world, um, but we created the fandom, we created the magic, we created the community, that's ours to keep, we're leaving her behind. So this idea of leaving uh, the creator behind, you know from a Christian worldview, caught my attention. So I didn't comment on this at the time, but now that the New York Times is giving its giving what we would call journalistic legs, like now this story has legs, uh, through an associated ad campaign, imagining Harry Potter without its creator, um, I just wanted to be sure we pointed out what's going on here. Harry Potter is a fictional character. Hogwarts is a fictional school. It is conceived of in the imagination, written by, published, and made into movies and theme parks by a creator. She's a real person. She has a name, J.K. Rowling. Um, She really created the characters, the settings, the stories. She really wrote the books. She's really made more than a billion with a B dollars off of the Harry Potter enterprise. And yet there are many, 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 many people, including uh, the cast and characters who have also made lots of money off of this enterprise, who 
want they want the world. They want the characters. They want the money, but without its creator. This sounds so familiar, doesn't it? How many people want the blessings of God, the blessings of God's good creation, even the characters in the storyline, like, I don't know, Noah or the Good Samaritan or a guardian angel or a baby in a manger at Christmas? They want the characters. They want the storyline even sometimes, but without the creator of it all. How many people want to imagine that they're going to heaven, even though they're canceling the king of heaven himself? If you've been tempted to imagine that life could be rightly lived without a relationship with the creator of it, then you have done precisely the same thing that Liana has done, imagining Harry Potter without its creator. You have literally lost the plot of the author of life itself. If you are imagining life can be rightly lived without a relationship to life's creator. So I invite you today to reconsider the redemptive narrative of human history. Read the original story. Get to know the author of life itself. And reject the temptation of the day which suggests that you could have the kingdom without the king. We're going to talk this morning with Abigail Rist. She is a junior at Cedarville University, and she grew up in Ukraine. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Abigail Rist. She is a student at Cedarville University, daughter of Ukrainian missionaries, and it is her home country. Abigail, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I just want to start with an acknowledgement that along with everyone else, I'm praying for your family, the people of Ukraine, um, and we can scarcely imagine what you're feeling, um, but thank you so much for joining us as a sister in Christ this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Absolutely. Um, you you grew up in Ukraine. Um, let's just talk for a moment about, you know, about your family. Your parents are missionaries in Ukraine. Are they there now? My family moved back permanently to the U.S. about a year ago, but they served as missionaries in Ukraine for 21 years. They moved over when I was four months old. So it really is your home. Um, I mean, yeah. you certainly lived, I mean, much more of your life in Ukraine than you have here in the States as a student at Cedarville. Um, when you read the headlines, when you see on social media and, and in the media writ large what's happening in Ukraine, can you just talk about what you're feeling and um, and how you're thinking about what's happening there? It's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult waking up every morning and knowing that Ukraine is seven hours ahead. And so you don't know what's happened um, in the day, what's happened already. Um, you just, I wake up and read the headlines and sometimes my stomach just sinks to the floor. It's, it's hard to believe that the country I call home is going through such turmoil. When we, um, you know, we hear and read, you know, Vladimir Putin of Russia 
saying that these parts of Ukraine have declared their independence and he's you know supportive of that and sending in quote unquote Russian peacekeepers into those regions. Would you give us a little geography lesson? I mean, one of the failures, frankly, of the American educational process is we don't really learn much geography and we certainly don't learn much history outside of our own. So can you give us a little geography lesson about what Putin is talking about? The two areas that um, Putin has declared as independent regions are the Donetsk, Luhansk areas. They're the easternmost um, portions of Ukraine. They're basically the equivalent to some sort of state. Each of them is a, some, sort of, some sort of state. Um, both of those regions are very rich in coal mining and have historically been really had a lot of ethnic Russians or has been um, very rich in speaking the Russian language. Okay, let's talk about language for a moment. Um, what is your native tongue? What what language do you most comfortably speak? It would be a mix of uh, Ukrainian and English. I grew up in Ukrainian school, so I mean, the only time I spoke English as a little girl was when I was talking with my parents. Um, but now that I'm uh, studying in at university in English, um, English tends to be easier for me. Mm-hmm. Would you, um, Abigail, um, would you pray in Ukrainian for people who are listening right now for whom that is their heart language? Um, I feel like a prayer out of your heart for um, people whose native tongue is Ukraine, Ukrainian who might be listening right now just might be a real blessing for you to pray us um uh, pray us into this this very brief break that we need to take. Um, so would you do that? Just offer up a prayer for those who are listening right now whose heart language is Ukrainian. Yes. Боже, я дуже молюсь за Україну. Боже, я молюсь, щоб ти дав мир людям, щоб ти дав сили людям, щоб люди тебе бачили, щоб люди тебе сильно любили, сильно служили. Боже, щоб ти був над всією зараз, щоб і ти і Росію благословив, і Україну благословив. Ну, Боже, дай, дай спокій, дай мир Україні. Амінь. Амінь. We're talking with Abigail Rist. She is a student at Cedarville University. She's the daughter of Ukrainian missionaries and spent 21, uh, spent her life there from the time that she was four months old until she came to the States to go to school. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Talking with Abigail Rist. She is a student at Cedarville University. She grew up in Ukraine. We're talking about the developments there and how her faith is carrying her through. Abigail, um, let's uh, let's pivot to that subject. When you oh, take that deep breath every morning and when you lay your head down on the pillow every night, let me you know just share with us like how is your faith in Christ carrying you through? Not being there, I think, is part of the challenge, and yet knowing so many who are there facing very real challenges today. It's definitely harder being here than it would be if I was there right now. Um, it's amazing to see, though, that God God is still good. Even in the heaviness of the situation right now, God is still very good. He surrounded me with a wonderful community here at Cedarville that just loves on me, prays for me all the time. People are constantly texting me or walking up and asking to pray for me or for my friends and friends who are like family back in Ukraine. And that is just 
so needed and so heartwarming. Um, and you just, I wake up every morning and I can, I can trust 170% that God is good and it's going to be okay. At the end of the day, whatever the outcome is, it's going to be okay. Hmm. I love that. Um, can you take us into maybe the experience of a person your age, maybe a friend of yours in Ukraine? Give us a little sense of what their life is like. Um, you were in Kiev, is that correct? Yes. So just talk with us about that. I mean, it's a it's a big city. It's it's metropolitan. It's I mean, it's likened unto maybe what city in America that you could point to. It's a city of three million in the post-Soviet world. It's it's very hard to compare it to anything here in the U.S. Um, people, people in Ukraine, they love, especially in Kiev, they love the city. They love being able to go out to eat. They love exploring. Coffee shops are a big deal right now. Um, and especially coffee shop evangelism is huge right now. I know a lot of my friends back at my church who are around my age, they do this thing where they have um, coffee shops once a month. They turn the church into a coffee shop. They have an espresso machine and they just invite people to come into the church and play games, share a little devotional. And that's how they have used the people's love for for coffee shops and food and, and restaurants and going out um, to bring people into the church and evangelize to them. Okay, let's um, let's talk about coffee. When you describe coffee or coffee shop evangelism, what kind of coffee am I sitting down to have in Ukraine? Most likely a cappuccino. <laughs> okay, and they play games. What kind of games would we be playing? The exact same games that you would play here in the U.S. Uno, Monopoly, um, Phase Ten, any of those games. Okay, I love that. That is so fun. See, you're what you're helping us um, understand, Abigail, is how it seems so foreign, right? And the word foreign is, you know, means it's just like far away from me. And but you're bringing it into my reality. I drink cappuccino. I play phase 10. I know what you're talking about. Um, You talk about your church in Ukraine. Tell us, walk us into that experience. Um, What what was your church experience in Ukraine like? My church very much raised me like family, um, and I wouldn't be the person I am today without them for sure. Growing up in a church that, well, Ukraine didn't experience freedom of religion under the Soviet Union. So for the past 30 years, my church and churches all around Kiev and Ukraine have experienced freedom of religion, and it's been beautiful um, watching the church grow, watching the church mature, people are very hungry, very hungry for the Bible, very hungry to learn. Um, they want to go to seminary. People are pursuing chaplaincy programs in light of the crisis right now. It's it's a very rich and sincere faith, and people just want to do everything that they potentially can do right in the eyes of the Lord, because they now have the opportunity to openly and freely worship Him. When you're talking um, about, you know, evangelism and you're talking about, you know, churches that are no more than 30 years old, post-Soviet, um, there's you're making a distinction. And I'm, I'm aware of this distinction in the region between um, the historic churches that would um, predate, uh, I mean, they would predate communism, and then the evangelical movement. Is that, is that where you would... Um, 
sort of make a distinction in terms of Christian religious expression in Ukraine, that there are these historically orthodox Christians and then there are evangelical Christians? Yes, for sure. Um, Ukraine is a very religious, very people really value orthodoxy. But when you when I'm going to church, I'm talking about my evangelical church, my evangelical brothers and sisters. And that distinction is important. Um, And I think that here in the United States, we don't we don't often think a whole lot about the historic expressions of the Orthodox Church. But um, that is a big deal when we're talking about Russian Orthodoxy and we're talking about the Russian Orthodox Church and its um, essentially stamp of approval it has given to Putin and his plans versus um, you know, what is going on in Kiev in terms of Orthodox Christianity as well. And I just want our listeners to be aware of that, um, that when Abigail is talking about her church experience, she's talking about an evangelical expression of Christianity that's really only existed um, post-communist, you know, post the Soviet uh, reign and rule. And so we're talking about something that's really only about 30 years old in the region. And so um, we can be praying for evangelical Christians um, in in Ukraine. We can be praying that God would continue to supply for them, that God would build up the church there, that he would use this as a kingdom advancing opportunity, even as the kingdoms of this world continue to struggle and uh, and strain. Um, Abigail, any um, any final thoughts you want to share with us today? And, and then in particular, how could we be praying for you and how can we be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine? I think one of the biggest ways we can be praying for uh, our brothers and sisters back in Ukraine is um, people are still walking through very strict COVID regulations. And so it's very hard for churches to gather right now, churches to do any sort of evangelism, do any sort of gatherings. And so you're facing um, a very strict COVID shutdown in the region. And then you're also faced with 100,000 plus troops on the border and people don't know what their life is going to look like maybe next week. And so people are seeking something and that's something they're seeking. What does life mean? And that something is found, life is found in Jesus Christ. And the church has a wonderful opportunity to share that if they can step outside of the COVID regulations. Mm. Abigail, um, thank you so much. We're going to be praying for you, and you're going to be the person um, who we're going to have in mind as we're praying for the people of Ukraine. So please... um, Please reach out to us when there is a, when there is a development or an opportunity that you think to yourself, hey, I really want more Christians in America to know what's happening in this particular circumstance or with this particular expression of the church um, in Ukraine. We would we would love to uh, have you keep us up to date. All right, thank you. Thank you. Oh, and I should ask Abigail, what are you studying? Oh, international studies. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you'd be very good at that. All right. That's Abigail Rist. She is a junior at Cedarville University, and she grew up in Ukraine as the daughter of Ukrainian missionaries. Uh, Abigail, thank you so much for joining us. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. All right. Um, our Father is on the throne. Um, when we when we think about the way we pray, our Father who art in heaven, when we think about the way we are the family of faith uh, around the world, when we think about the intimacy to which we are connected, 
when we think about Jesus's um, answer to those who say, hey, your mom and your brothers, they're at the door. And Jesus looks around and says, these are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of the Father in heaven. I want you to just consider for a moment the family of faith. I want you to consider your own adoption into the family of faith through Jesus Christ, um, our Savior and our Lord. He is our older brother in, in this way. We are heirs to the kingdom of heaven because of him. We are adopted into the family of faith. We are engrafted um, into the promises made by God to first to the Jews, his chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. Um, we are the people of God. We are the family of faith through adoption. Now, I want you to just consider for just a moment that 5.2 million children around the world lost a primary or secondary caregiver to COVID-19. As the rest of us are returning to quote-unquote normal, these kids uh, have no normal to which they can return. And so we're going to have a conversation with Jed Medefend from the Christian Alliance for Orphans about the status of children around the world orphaned by COVID um, and how the church can respond. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jed Medefend heads up the Christian Alliance for Orphans. He has joined us on prior occasions. Jed, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Talk talk with us. I mean, we want to check in with you in terms of specifically um, this this crisis in Ukraine and what's happening with children crossing the border. But I really want to focus with you on the crisis related to uh, children and covid so can we um, can we start there? Absolutely, absolutely, Carmen. You know what what we see in really in any crisis, and that goes for Ukraine or COVID or anything else, is that it is very often children that bear some of the hardest impact of that crisis. Even with something like COVID, that as we know had very little direct impact on children. You know the the virus itself had very limited impact on most children, and yet indirectly it had a profound impact upon them. One of the ways we see that is what are sometimes referred to as COVID orphans, children who've lost a parent or primary caregiver as a result of COVID. That number right now globally is estimated to be more than 5 million children. Mm. So let's talk about that. I mean, let's talk about 5 million children who just a couple of years ago were in relatively stable situations um, who now are not. Um, I mean, I, I just there's so many challenges that children face um, and to add this to, um, you know, as another additional layer, I guess I'm wondering how organizations um, like uh, like the Christian Alliance for Orphans, but others as well, like how how are organizations responding? How have you guys pivoted in terms of the the COVID orphans? Yeah, well, you know, coming in some ways, of course, this is nothing new. It, it, you know, the idea of children who have lost the protection and care that God intends parents to provide. That is as old as as the Torah. It is as old as the Psalms. It is as old as the New Testament. Those books all speak to God's particular call to his people to be present for children that lack the protection of parents. And so in that sense, it's nothing new. 
Um, at the same time, you know, with COVID in particular, what we've seen is this dramatic surge all over the world of children who've, who've lost that primary relationship. Um, in many cases, actually the majority of cases, interestingly, fathers were much more likely to die than mothers. And so um, of those COVID orphans, the percent that lost fathers was much higher than those who lost mothers. But in either case, you know, you're losing either a, a perhaps a breadwinner, a primary protector, the primary caregiver. In some cases, it may have been a grandparent that had been the primary caregiver. Maybe the parents had been out of the picture already. And now the child is facing life in the world without that care or protection that their parents had provided. And of course, that's where the church can play a primary role, is stepping in and saying, okay, what are the things that, that still do exist around this child? Maybe there's an aunt or an uncle. Maybe there is a surviving mother or father. And the church can wrap around that family support structure, care for that child through that family. So I understand that um, along with a number of other child welfare organizations, um, you guys uh, at the Christian Alliance for Orphans um, are really trying to help people understand that family-based care, that, uh, as you have just described, identifying um, a surviving member of that child's family, um, that that just increases that child's um, chances of a positive future. Can you talk about the advantages of family-based care over maybe what we would traditionally think of as orphanages or other kinds of residential um, institutional care? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, first of all, we can say, you know, when there is a situation where there are lots of children who, you know, due to some major crisis, whether it's war, uh, HIV in Africa, other situations, and there are lots of children who lack uh, parental care, it's very natural to say, how can we be efficient and provide some mass scale solution? That's a very natural response. And, and there may be times in, in very immediate, urgent situations where you have to create some sort of, you know, group setting or, or some something that, that seems more efficient like that, right? But, but in the long run, what we know as Christians is that God designed the family as the very best place for a child to grow. And of course, we see this all throughout scripture. Modern social science and psycho psychology, they, they show us the same thing. They show that children who are growing up outside of a healthy family are far more likely to face virtually every evil known to man. So that includes, you know, psychological well-being. It includes physical size and health, all of those things we can actually literally measure are healthier, more vibrant, more strong, more positive when a child's growing up within a family. And so, you know, what we believe as the Christian Alliance for Orphans is, while there sometimes are crisis situations that call for immediate other measures, what we always say is the very best place for a child is a family. And so we always want to be laser focused on working toward that end. And that's a long-term vision, but we also then bring that into the crisis and say, for instance, right now, when we're looking at Ukraine and there's lots of children who have lost a parent or have lost a primary caregiver, we're not saying, hey, how can we just shelter them and house them for the long haul in some large warehouse? We're saying, how can we find a way for these children to be cared for within a family, ideally with kin, relatives, finding a surviving parent? And if that's not the case then finding opportunities for them to grow up within a family, whether that's in a local adoptive family or in any other situation where they can know the love and belonging that every child needs to grow. 
We're talking with Jed Medifend from the Christian Alliance for Orphans. You can find Jed and things that we're talking about today at CAFO, C-A-F-O dot O-R-G. Jed, um, I always think it's good and helpful to remind people about the theology of adoption. I mean, why we as Christians um, think the way we do about um, about families, about children, and about the power of adopting children who need it. Um, you know, children for whom um, returning to some member of their uh, of their biological family is not an option. Um, talk about the theology of adoption. Yes. Well, you know, that's thanks for asking about that. And you know, what we see first of all in Scripture is that God prizes and prioritizes family. Right, that that he he created the family as the ideal place for children to grow, and in in Psalms it talks about that, that God Himself. It says, "A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families." And so, whenever there is an individual who is outside of that healthy whole relationship of family, it's God's good purpose that they be drawn into that that sense of belonging and permanency. And even though we know every earthly family is imperfect. We, we also know that there is something that just cannot be replicated by any other entity or institution than the belonging of family. And so we see that on, a, on an earthly level. We desire that for people, for, for children, for everyone. But then, of course, Scripture talks about this idea that we, just like children around the world who are apart from family, who have lost their family, that we are living in a state of, of what the Bible would describe as orphanhood, that we are separated from God by, by sin, by evil, by the brokenness of this world. And throughout Scripture, this idea that God desires to welcome us into his family is very central. It describes that, that, you know, that he has adopted us, that he has given us his family name, that he has given us not just an identity, but even full inheritance rights, which you know, in some ways seems kind of strange or mercenary, but particularly in many parts of the world where when a child is brought into a home, maybe they're, they're cared for, but they're often seen as, as household help. They're second-class citizens. There's the children, and then there's the kids that have been brought in. And what the Bible describes is that when we are brought into God's family— we have full identity and full inheritance rights. We are all in. And it is such a beautiful picture, of course, that in this world, in the, in the physical side of things, when there is a child who has lost their parents and there truly is no hope of returning to a biological family, that God invites his, his people to be a part of that, of mirroring the love of their Heavenly Father by welcoming children into their own families through the mystery and beauty of adoption. We're talking with Jed Medifend from CAFO. It's the Christian Alliance for Orphans. You can find it at C-A-F-O dot O-R-G. We're going to take a very brief pause. When we come back, I'm going to ask Jed specifically about what's going on with um, with orphans and unattended children and children who are just showing up at the borders um, of Ukraine by themselves. So how is the world responding? How can you as a Christian respond? How can your church respond. What can we do to support a bright future for children around the world? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Millions of people have fled Ukraine. Many, many mothers um, and grandmothers and aunties with children um, arriving at uh, at international borders in need of everything. 
um, the men having stayed behind to defend their country. Some women staying behind as well to support the war effort have put children on on uh, buses and trains and sent them unattended across the border. Um, some of them reunited with members of family, others of them in need of shelter and care and everything else. Um, Jed Medifund is here. He uh, serves with the Christian Alliance for Orphans as a part of a network of child welfare organizations around the world responding to this crisis. Jed, I know you've got a number of partner ministries um, on the ground, not only in Ukraine, but in in nations adjacent to Ukraine. Talk with us about what you're hearing and and what's happening. Yes, Carmen. Well, you know, as as of course, I think the whole world is is watching, we're we're seeing on one hand, just the 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 reality of humanity at its most broken you know we're we're seeing shells rip through hospitals and schools we're seeing tanks crush vehicles with their their drivers still in them and and it just it it it, it rips our hearts at the same moment we're, we're also seeing glimpses of god's grace and beauty and and goodness shine in that dark place and i i know through many of the organizations and ministries that are serving both within Ukraine and in the surrounding countries, we, we are seeing such beautiful glimpses of that. And, and even just on the interpersonal level, you know, I just, I just heard Carmen a, a story last week of, of a group of children that had been in orphanages uh, in Ukraine. They were being transported out and there was just, you know, of course, immense complexity of getting vehicles, the vehicles getting them to the border, the, borders, the border would not let the vehicles out. So the children had to transfer to other vehicles as they were heading uh, further and then into Poland, and they had not been able to bring any food with them. And so over more than 24 hours, these children were extremely hungry. And, uh, and the, the buses stopped at a, at a restaurant to try to get a little bit of food and, and uh, some other items that they really needed. And when the workers at this restaurant heard about this, they all just began to bring food out, out of the restaurant, giving it to them at no cost. Some of them went home to their own homes and started getting supplies, coats and jackets and toilet paper and just all these things. And, and you just, alongside the twistedness and brokenness of the world, you also see grace and, and beauty. And these things are just flowing together constantly there in Ukraine and in the countries around it. So when you, um, when you think about this in terms of global development of uh, the conversation about children in crisis, children in need, families that are desperate for help, um, I mean, I, it's fair to say I've never seen anything like this, but you've seen more than I've seen and have paid attention to this. Uh, have you or your member organizations like ever seen anything like this? And and if so, you know, can you give us some of those parallel situations? Mm. Well, you know, every every situation, every individual human story, right, is its own unique tragedy. Um, and, and certainly we, we can look at historical parallels. I mean, I think there's even, you know, parallels to World War I and there's parallels to the lead up to World War II. And so I think there's, there's certainly historical moments where we've, we've seen profound brokenness on, on this scale, perhaps even bigger. But, but in terms of this tragedy right now, I, I think it is, it is new for anyone who has lived, uh, you know, over the last 30, 40 years in the West and just kind of assumed that we were past these things, right? And these, you know, I, I have spent a fair amount of time in Ukraine, and it is so uh, gripping to see roads that you have driven on and schools that you've been in ripped apart. And you you always kind of imagine it's going to be in some far off place. And, and then you realize, no, this this 
capacity for evil and the profound brokenness of, of humanity, this is around every one of us. This is in every one of us in some degree. And, and yet, at the same time, there is such potential for God's people to bring healing in it. And I'll, and I'll tell you, Carmen, alongside that hurt and the anguish, um, there are so many organizations, many of them, of course, that I get to interact with every day through the Christian Alliance for Orphans, that are, that are there, that are, that are bringing food and immediate relief, that are on the borders receiving children, seeking to reunify children with family or relatives, uh, seeking those things out. If, there's, if that's not possible in the immediate term, finding healthy, safe places for these children to be for the foreseeable future, and then planning a course to seek out those families and reunite. And, and so, again, you, you just see this juxtaposition of the world at its most broken, and yet the grace and goodness of God through his people. Can we um, pivot uh, here back towards home? Because there may be folks listening right now who are saying, you know what, if um, if there were a kid um, that needed this in my own community, in my own state, um, I I think I would want to do something. Talk a little bit about kids aging out of the system, um, the need for the family of faith to become forever families for kids here in the United States. Mm, thanks for asking about that, Carmen. Yes. You know, because I think all of us, as we see what's happened in Ukraine, something pricks our hearts, right? And we just feel angry and we feel anguish and we want to do something. And I, I think that's a God-given response. It is, it is I think, mirroring the, the Spirit of God himself who looks at that brokenness and he's, he feels angered by, by evil and the way people hurt each other, and he longs to bring response and help. And, and we can do that in Ukraine and surrounding countries by giving financially and by praying, by supporting good work there. But we can also take that, that, that feeling that's been woken in us and live it out right in our own neighborhoods. Because this very moment, even as we watch the TV about what's happened in Ukraine, there are kids growing up apart from safe healthy family here in the United States in the U.S. foster system. And for some, they just need a temporary home through foster care with hope that their biological family can be reunited. And that's something we could support and be a part of and help with. And there's other kids who are what are known as waiting children. They need new families through adoption. And and as you alluded to, Carmen, some of those kids every year, somewhere around 20,000 of them age out into adulthood without any prospect of a permanent family, no, no place to, to call when they're, you know, when they're going through a crisis, no place to go home to for Christmas or, or for Thanksgiving. And, and the church can be that for these kids. We can step into their lives, whether that's through adoption or becoming a mentor or just a permanent relationship that is the place where they can go home for Christmas and holidays and call when they're going through a crisis. That is, this is such a wonderful way that every one of us can respond to these feelings we're having when we see the crises around the globe. Judd, as always, um, thank you so much. It's it's so important, um, not only that we understand who we are as the adopted children of God, um, but extending that grace and mercy to those in need of tangible family, like real family. Um, and so thank you for what you do um, at the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Thank you so much for bringing us the stories today and hopefully inspiring us to consider how we might respond either to the this challenge um, of children in Ukraine and now on the in the nation's perimeter on the perimeter of Ukraine, but then also just the orphan crisis around the world. So many children in need of so much today. How will you help? How is God pricking your conscience today? 
to live a little more simply that one of these might simply live. Jed, uh, thank you, as always, so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for the opportunity, Carmen. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. you lately that I love you? Uh, Have I told you lately that God loves you? That's way more important, actually. Way more important. Um, Do you know that? Do you receive that? Do you live in that reality? God loves you. God loves you. Delights his heart to hear your voice. So don't you just imagine for a moment um, that your phone rings and um, you, you pick it up and you answer it because, you know, uh, you have to think back to the days when we couldn't look down at the screen and see who it was and decide whether or not we were going to answer it. You just answered it, right? You just answered the phone because it rang. And you were curious to know who was there. And then you were delighted to hear the sound of someone's voice. And I want you to imagine that that voice is the voice of your child. It would be immediately recognizable, right? I mean, it's not like you don't know what your children sound like or what your mother sounds like um, if you're a person who doesn't have children. Like, right? So... So I want you to just think about that for just a moment. How delighted you are to hear the sound of the voice of someone you love. And now I want you to recognize that that's the way God feels when you call out to him. When you cry out to God, when you call out to God, when you pray, when you turn intentionally to him and acknowledge his presence and thank him for his grace. When like a little child, you run to him and are received, God is delighted. He's delighted. God loves you. I, I don't know about you, but I mean, that's enough. Uh, that's enough. It's enough. It's enough for the day. It's enough for the living of these days. It's enough uh, to, to face the reality before us. No matter uh, what's going on, If I know that in the midst of it, God loves me, God's got me, God's going to see me all the way home, he's going to carry me when necessary, that he has provided for me um, a fellowship, a family of faith, a body of believers to sustain me in the midst, God loves you. God loves you so much. He sent his only son that you would not have to die the death you deserve to die, nor endure the punishment you could never endure for the reality of sin and sinfulness. And he gave it all as a, as a gracious gift. God loves you. God loves you. Do you love him? Don't let God's love be unrequited today. Turn to him and tell him you love him. I'm Carmen LeBurge. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Remember, it's your prayerful and faithful financial support that makes both the live show and the podcast available. Make your gift at MyFaithRadio.com.